Hi, thanks for checking out One Debate, a bi-weekly podcast where we strive to help you become the best person at your table. If you like what you hear, please like, review, and subscribe to our podcast so we can help others like you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. New episodes come out every other Monday. I'm Jacob, and as always, we're here with our resident DM, Gabe. Hello. Gabe, are you ready to tackle part two of character creation? I am very ready to tackle part two, Jacob. Fantastic. Now, listeners, if you want to, please go back and listen to the previous episode. It's not that the two episodes are really connected in the sense that you need to listen to the first one before you can listen to the second one. But we do talk about the abstract details that will be going a little bit more into detail with now. So, Gabe, when you are creating your characters, do you have a formula that you follow? I do, Jacob. I actually have um, a pretty in-depth formula that I have been sort of working to create over the last couple campaigns that I've played in. Uh, and I sought to do this because I knew I had a process, but I didn't really know what that process was. I didn't know why I chose certain things for my characters or how I came to the point where I knew that my character had certain motivations or how to even react emotionally as my character. So I set out to set up a relatively in-depth formula. When you say in-depth, are you talking more along the lines of, I don't know how to word it, complicated? Like, are your are your characters a little bit more complicated in the sense that it's not actually going to help you at all later on? <laughs> I think that it's to help me create a complex character in a simple way. However, it is a multi-step process, which could be perceived as complicated, I suppose. I can't think of the word that I'm thinking of. It's okay. So, so walk us through this process, if you don't mind. Sure. So... First things first, you kind of have to identify what kind of a builder you are. And what I mean by that is when you're coming up with inspiration for your character or you have a sense of what your character is going to be, how do you lay the foundation for that character? Now, I am a mechanical builder. And for the sake of argument, we, we could say that you're an emotional builder. So namely, this came about because I discuss these things with my girlfriend all the time. Bless her heart. And Ashley my girlfriend, is a emotional builder. She will gain the inspiration for a character from a piece of art or a song or a feeling or a vibe. And I come up with my character concepts from a mechanical sense. Like I'll see uh, a rule that I want to explore or a subclass that I really want to try. Do you mean exploit? Well, sure, sure. If it's your game, it'll be an exploit. <laughs> That that sounds really interesting because uh, Ashley and I are actually emotional builders, and I might mm -hmm. I might think to kind of create my character just based on exactly what you said, some feeling that I'm feeling someday, like yeah. oh, I'm really sad about having to go outside and walking in the cold. I guess I'm gonna make a gnome about that. <laughs> a gnomish recluse. Who reads his books and sips his tea. His oh, name yes. would be Jacob. Uh, but yeah, and that was, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's more than just those two types. I guess this is more of find how you build the foundation of your character and embrace it. 
You're absolutely right. There's more there's more than mechanical building and, and emotional mm-hmm. building. I, I think that you could get a little bit more in depth there and even say like there's the role play build where you don't sure. really care about your mechanics all too much. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of create an in-depth character based on the role playing ability where you kind of lean on some of their scores a little bit, but more or less, mm-hmm. you kind of just go through the game hoping that you can you can just talk your way out of situations. Absolutely. And that's something that I hope to achieve as like a, a secondary or tertiary goal while going through my process. Um, role playing and as I mentioned earlier, being able to react to a scenario. I was having a lot of trouble with this with the initial characters I was creating because they were very surface, very mechanical. They weren't deep. They, you know, they, they weren't fully fleshed out characters. So I would come upon a scenario and I'd have to think to myself, how do I react to this scenario? And the moment you have to do that in the middle of a session is the moment your character is not going to be taking the spotlight. Because if you don't even know how to react in character, you probably should let someone who does instead. So that comes from the backstory typically, and that's the second part of my process. I use the role tables from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Uh, I've mentioned it in the previous podcast. It's a book by Wizards of the Coast. They have a section near the middle of the book called This Is Your Life. You can learn who your character is through, it's almost like a restrictive guide. It's a series of tables that will cover everything from where you were born, how many siblings you had, what is the status of your parents? What are some events that occurred in your life? How old are you? And all of these tables sort of play off of each other. And while sometimes I don't need these tables, I still roll on them. Because I have found that creativity within bounds is, it, it's very important to sort of get the juices flowing for me. For example, if I was to roll on the, the where were you, were you born table, and it said, monastery. And I already had kind of the inkling that I wanted to be a warlock. And then I have to think, okay, so if I'm going to use this option, how does this character actually exist in this monastery? Does that affect who I am? Uh, The people that I met there, what did I grow up with monks? Does that mean that this warlock has this background? I guess I would be a little bit challenging to or not challenging but a little bit extra flavor if you're already thinking man i kind of want to make a warlock and you roll and you end up living in a monastery like what Mm -hmm. kind of what kind of situations did you get from that like where what happened that your warlock ended up i mean speaking of my warlock that i had made my tiefling what path did did you end up creating? What demon did you did you end up letting into your? Mm-hmm. That just kind of is a little bit of an issue with your characters with your characters uh, past that kind of needs to get resolved somehow, I guess. Right. Exactly. And I, I love that you said challenge because you really are just challenging yourself to come up with a plausible scenario within this role that you've made, which is completely random. And it ends up just dumping all this depth into the backstory of your character. Because suddenly, okay, you had an interesting growth period. Uh, you came up in a monastery, in it, and now you're asking questions about your character. You're asking yourself, how did I find a pact with a higher being in a monastery? How did 
I interact with these people in this monastery. How did I stray so far away? And so automatically you've, you've just given yourself like five years worth of depth and adventure and history for your character, all because you rolled a weird dice. It's a great thing to do. I also have to say, you don't have to take the role that you get. If you just want to mm-hmm. look through the the categories that they have or the, the results that they have and one speaks to you, go for that. Like, just because you roll something doesn't mean that you need to take it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you said that because that was a point that I forgot to mention. Sometimes I will just pour over the list and I'll find something weird and it gets, you know, that creative impulse firing. And then you're, you're just looking for why did that speak to me? Because so many times when you're rolling on these tables, it's not even about what the role ends up being. It's about what the, the role ends up telling you that you already understand about what you'd want, but you didn't realize it. So maybe you roll that your character grew up on a farm and you, you just like immediately, you know, instinctively, no, I don't, I don't want a vanilla character. I don't want the, the typical adventure. That's not the story I'm looking for. And you might not have realized that you didn't want that. But as soon as the option for it was thrust upon you, you realize, okay, I don't want that. I'm going to roll again or I'm, I'm going to just pick one. So you said previously about understanding creativity within the bounds, within your own bounds mm-hmm. that that having, I guess what you're what you're pretty much saying is if you have a set, not end goal, but you kind of have a little bit of a basic basis to start from, at least it's a lot more helpful than having a clean slate. I guess yeah. I guess that's how you could say it, because I know myself sometimes, even if, even though I am an emotional human being and I <laughs> create my characters out of thin air, the abundance of infinity really yeah. is daunting. Yeah. And you do end up just creating the same character over and over and over again sometimes. And you don't really realize it because, oh, instead of being a thief, I was a pauper. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wait. So you're just not stealing things? Not saying, <laughs> like, not saying, not saying not that. Panhandling. <laughs> like, it's the same thing, even if you were rich and you weren't stealing things. Like, like, yeah. so what? You're just not committing crimes? Like, that's, that's the only difference? Come on. Come on. If you're mm-hmm. trying to create a different character, think a little bit more about it. Exactly. It's, it's really just an aid. It's, it's like if you sit down and, and you're about to paint something, but you have no idea what you want to paint and you just have that blank canvas in front of you, you're going to run into issues or you're going to start and you're going to throw it out and change as you begin to fill in the dots on what you actually wanted to paint to begin with. This is just a way, it's like putting down trace paper and just accelerating the process a little bit. I'm not going to lie. For whatever reason, when you said uh, getting the canvas, mm-hmm. I am mad. I really want to make a Bob Ross <laughs> A character now i want to make a make a character under the style of bob ross have him be an artist yeah um, so he so and ronald mcdonald will get along great who why would you assume that bob ross is friendly with ronald mcdonald i was just trying to reference the the joke character for three episodes in a row don't don't cast those stones at me jacob you know uh lord happy's fun castle doesn't have any glass having glass in it so no stones can hurt it <laughs> Anyway, so number three on my list, and this will sound familiar to those of you that have uh, listened to the previous episode, but this is the the Venn diagram. Now, 
I have a little bit more to it than just the good, neutral, evil, aka selfless, self-serving, and selfish. Uh, what I like to do is I actually draw out the circles, understanding what I want my character to be. I, I generally agree mentally with myself, like, do I want to play an evil character, a good character, or a neutral character? And what I will do here is I will write in their goals. So let's say I want to find out what happened to those parents that I rolled are dead. And then I, I ask myself, okay, how will I do this? And maybe I need to make money to hire an investigator. Maybe I need to speak with someone from my military history because I rolled that on the tables as well. Uh, and then I'll, I'll write these things into the circles on the Venn diagram. And I will say, how, okay, so how am I going to go about doing these? Am I a greedy person? Am I going to steal to get the money? Am I going to try and start a fundraiser for Lord Happy's fun investigation? Am I going to accost that military contact that I have with, with violence or threats or bribery? Or am I going to appeal to them as a friend and a, a loyal companion? Um, am I going to, you know, it, it starts to influence your actions and then you can write those into your backstory. And maybe you rolled up on the table that you have a rival or that you made an enemy in your past. And it's very easy for you to be a good character seeking redemption for an evil past. Perhaps you went too far when you interacted with that mentor from the military in your past and you assaulted them for information because you were desperate for it. And now your character is living in the here and now, and he has issues with how he handled things. So already we can sort of see like it's flowing toward a, a fleshed out character with a series of past events and how they handle those. I have to tell you, I just thought of the word that I can think of. <laughs> Lay it on me. Convoluted. Convoluted. That is not better than complicated. I thought it was going to be better than complicated. No, no, I, I was just, I just could not think of the word convoluted. So the Venn diagram, I don't want to get into too much just because we had already talked about that pretty, pretty in depth with the last episode. But I think that you're absolutely correct in, in saying that you need to look at your character through those, through that fluid lens that, yeah. just because you're going to start out as an evil character, you don't necessarily have to box yourself into keeping the character evil throughout i mean you can but mm. keep your options open that's that's what yeah. we're mainly saying throughout this entire episode yeah you're discovering who you are and who your character is exactly and you're also allowing your your dungeon master to put your character into scenarios where you are capable of change uh, the progress doesn't have to be evil to good progress doesn't have to it's not like we're not making a movie about a, a, a protagonist in his journey to to golden boyness we're talking about just experiencing something in a tabletop role-playing game you can transition from good to evil and have a blast with that campaign and looking back it can be sort of melancholy kind of sad that you watch this character fall from grace but at the end of the day what we're looking for is growth whether that's in a negative or positive way you know, this this conversation goes right into the next bullet point that you have, which is uh, personality, flaws, ideals, and bonds. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have a character typically fall from grace if they are a meek person who will always follow the rules. Mm -hmm. It's true. I guess you could technically end up 
being becoming evil just because you have an inability to say no, which is a which would be a great flaw. Yeah, I, I agree. And I would love to add uh, quirks to that list. I know that's not on the character sheet for fifth edition as the rest of those are. But like you said, maybe your character can't say no. When you do something like that at the table and you have a couple other players that are really interested in getting this lawful character that will never agree to do stuff, it, it suddenly it becomes their mission to make you do the things that you don't want to do. And if you allow those players to get their hooks into your character and eventually push him to do those things, it's, it's freeing. It's fun. Everyone at the table feels like they're interacting and growing and doing things as a whole. And it's, it's just a blast. It's a fun little activity. We're not saying that you that it has to be something huge either. We're not saying that yeah. has to be going to go slay a vampire, <laughs> <laughs> like something small, small like walking on the left hand side of the road or saying that you're library card, huh? Stealing a library card. Stealing a library card. Yeah, just like say that your character has some weird superstition has some weird yeah. superstition about about yeah. not taking library cards and the thief mm -hmm. the thief like just throws one in your pocket one day <laughs> like as you're <laughs> as you're walking out of the library like yeah you mm -hmm. didn't do it necessarily but that's a whole lot of fun to figure out what's going to happen and i i mentioned the the flaws personality uh, ideals bonds because they're on the character sheet for 5th edition and the first character i made I looked at those and I thought, these are stupid. And I didn't, I didn't fill them out. And now I fill them out every single time. I love giving my character a couple of bonds, especially if they're to NPCs that I've created with the Dungeon Master. I love giving my character a few flaws. One of my previous characters couldn't turn down food. And he was a halfling, he was sort of jolly. So take some trust. But the DM knew that any time there was a banquet, or a table laden with delicious looking food, my character was in. Didn't, it, it didn't matter that the first time he did this to me, it was in a hag's lair. But the second those doors flung open, people in my party knew to grab me. It was, it was just fantastic fun. As my, my little halfling is like, look at that pie. <laughs> oh, man. It's just little ways to bring everyone in to who your character is. Now, I have to ask you, What's an acceptable flaw compared to what would end up being overkill? Like, I can think of a couple of examples of overkill. Somebody who you said earlier who would, would always say no. Like, that's a little bit overkill because it kind of derails the party after a certain point. Yeah, it, it, it could be a little bit much. I have seen flaws in play that don't work too well when they're overly aggressive. Like, someone is unable to... I think I've I've played with a friend once and it was just a one shot, but anyone who was taller than him, he had to try and fight them. And it, it completely derailed the whole game. It was it was funny, but if it was a serious campaign, it would have been just a constant thorn in our sides at every turn because he was a dwarf, too. So it was inevitable that conflict was on the horizon. I think that you do have to be careful. That's why I always choose something a little innocuous. But you also want it to be something that comes up, like not being able to turn down food. Every single inn that you go into, probably going to be food, or your characters are going to be smelling food, and I'm going to go investigate. I'm going to go look for the chef. 
we're we're infiltrating a castle. Oh, why don't we uh check out the kitchens? There could be important information there. Um, so I would say keep in mind. All right, let this, <laughs> yeah, let this flaw or this quirk be something innocuous, but capable of driving forth a plot. Do you think that that flaw that the dwarf had of wanting to fight everybody taller, would it become acceptable if they changed it to something like not being able to trust anybody taller than them? Or would that still be overkill? I think it would work. But I, I mean, I think the important thing to do here is to not look at these all black and white. Maybe there's varying degrees of mistrust that this, this character puts into the people that are taller than him. That way, all giants he automatically distrusts, which isn't a bad play. And all humans he just moderately distrusts, because let's face it, humans are kind of duplicitous in nature anyway. They're living way too fast, getting into wars left and right. I'm just kind of giggling myself over here because, <laughs> because you're right. You're, you're right. You're, you're absolutely correct on not looking at things black and white. Guys, it's a role-playing game, mm -hmm. but if, you're, if you want to make a great, like, uh, a fleshed-out character, not everything is black and white. Things are gray. Mm -hmm. I know of, of a couple of beliefs that I have that go a little bit gray based on the situation. Just because you have some of these flaws, just because you have I these ideals or this personality or these bonds, it doesn't mean that an outside source might not change some of those things. And that is when you, as the player, need to recognize what factors would affect your player, your, your character. I, I really like that you mentioned that, because not only is this a scale, but if your character, and I, I know I'm going to keep using this example of, of eating everything in sight, as the stakes of the adventure grow greater and greater, or perhaps something is bothering your character, when your character finally issues that trait and we walk into a room and there's delicious food on the table and everyone looks at my character and my character isn't focused on that, everyone knows something is wrong. Time to get down to business. It's time to accomplish what we set out to do before we lose more. That's a great point. I actually didn't even think about that. That mm -hmm. is a great way to change the tone of your party to change the tone of the campaign to change everything honestly yeah so now the next one is knowing your world right or uh, did I skip you utilizing background class uh -huh. and subclass and this is this kind of harkens back to my mechanical side wizards of the coast does a great job of really really flavorful subclasses and backgrounds and we've talked about the backgrounds from Ghosts of Saltmarsh, so I don't really want to touch on those too much. But if you choose the fisherman, they give you a little roll table and it's got your fisherman stories on it. And you can say, I saw a ship get swallowed whole just the other day. And everyone can say, yeah, OK, or there goes Gabe telling his fisher tales again. Um, but it's it's just these are all tools that I think that people should be relying on to some degree. And of course, you don't have to. but if you look back at the, the last five points that I've made, it all grows into this diverse character who has this intricate backstory. They've got quirks, they've got flaws, their friends know who they are just by their actions in the game, just by their environment and surroundings. And then, you know, if, if I, I mentioned this in the last podcast as well, but if you 
collect the wildfire druid and you're about burning things down to see how they regrow, I'm probably going to pull strings from that and put them into my personality traits. Like if I see something corrupt, I have an urge to burn it to the ground and regrow it tenderly. Uh, and that doesn't mean that I light everything on fire, but you know that means my character is probably willing to engage in openness, like scathing uh, retorts, like telling someone you're being an idiot, but how can I help? Uh, and so I, I let my character's mechanical side influence his or her behavior. We've actually talked about this in the last episode, too. I do that a little bit with my huh? stats, right? And that's what you're yeah. talking about. If I had a chaotic neutral character who had a low wisdom score, I'm going to be running into every situation without thinking about it because, oh, this person could probably help me accomplish one of my goals. I don't care what my party has to say about it. I'm going to just go. And then later on, I find out that that person was actually our big bad. Whoops. <laughs> Curse of Strahd was a treat. I was the only person who was smart in Curse of Strahd. (laughs) (laughs) Except for when I split the party. So, Water under the bridge. Now it's going to know your world. That's the next one. Yeah, and this is going to come down to your session zero. It's going to come down to your trust of your DM. Uh, I think I used the example in private with you once. Um, In my current game that I'm playing, my character cannot lie. And so that's going to play into how you create your character. I had the character created mechanically the way I wanted with the backstories and such. And then my DM said, okay, would you be interested in being in this, the winter court, a fae thing? And knowing this, you would not be able to lie. So he let me stew on it. You know, he let me make the choice. It wasn't sprung upon me, but it added very, very real implications to how capable I felt I would be creating a character that can't tell a lie, who is also evil. And it has led to sort of a a remarkable creation with him where he doesn't mind if people don't want him knowing things because he himself understands the value of privacy because he cannot lie. So there is, despite his evilness, if someone wishes to keep a secret, he's okay with it. Keep it to yourself. There's no need to worry about what I think. And these, again, it's just restrictions that can cause growth and development. Um, But knowing that the world would not allow my character to lie was incredibly important to creating my character and who my character was. So you want to know the realm that you're in, especially if it's a custom world that your, your dungeon master has created. If you're going in blind, you can get blindsided with rules like this, and then you're going to have problems. I actually don't have anything to add to that, Gabe. I think that that was... <laughs> so, <laughs> we're going to go to your next point, which is knowing yourself, playing and learning about who you are through play. And yeah, it's funny because you have that written down verbatim, and it's actually something that I that we talk about when talking to parents about their kids' days. Yeah, it's it, you. you really learn what's going on in a kid's life by how they play by how they play pretend Mm. how they how they play house like the things that they say to their to their friends the things that they say to us when they're when they're pretending it it gives you a valuable insight on on the uh inner workings of of the family it's kind of the same thing here in in your role play right like you're basing all your actions off of things that you know and 
eventually you're going to start testing the waters a little bit. You're going to start experimenting and you might find out that your lawful good character isn't exactly who you wanted to play anymore and he ends up mm -hmm. becoming chaotic good or neutral and that's not bad it's just that's that's the progression of your character change as long as the change comes about from like a meaningful purpose or reason you know and it's not just you deciding on a whim that you know, this week I'm going to be chaotic. Um, but that's exactly what we're trying to achieve here. And I always say, you know, when, when we're all presenting our characters, perhaps it's before the first session or, you know, somewhere in between and we're all talking, I always say, so this is my character, but of course, I won't really know who he is until we've played for a month or two. No one knows what, what their character is or who their character is unless they play them for a little while. And unless mm -hmm. you've been, I go to community all the time. Um, the Dungeons and Dragons episode where they're trying to help that uh, fat Neil, that's who it was when they're trying to help Neil get a little bit more confidence. He mm -hmm. Neil, the, the character has always been playing the same person in Dungeons and Dragons for years and years and years. So he knows who his character is. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You could do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm always in the camp of creating a new character. It's just who I am when I start a campaign. And maybe that's also just because I haven't found the right people to play campaigns with. Mm -hmm. And that's OK, too. That's knowing yourself. That's knowing that yeah. you didn't enjoy the party that you were with last time. Not saying you guys talking about you, Gabe, and any of our <laughs> friends that are listening. <laughs> um, but. That's just this knowing where, yourself. This is where Jacob reveals that he invited me to, onto this podcast to, to tell me how much he hated playing with me. Rips my heart out. And this is actually Gabe Sack Corner. <laughs> For Gabe Sack Corner today, I'm going to reveal to you how my past players have all banded together in a support group and I've discovered their Facebook chat called I hate Gabe. He was an awful DM. No, that's exactly what we said, but it's close. <laughs> that would being too much of a sad corner. Uh, we've finished with your formula. Unless yes. do you have anything else that you want to add? Nope. Fantastic. I think now would be a good time to go into our mailbag, because I think that we have people who wrote into us. All these questions come from our friend Clint. What are the best practices for how much players should collaborate with the DM on backstory? And then how does that evolve outside of the game itself as the campaign progresses? How much is co-creation versus DM-led? And how much of that can you determine upfront versus in-game slash out-of-game? What are your thoughts on that? Do you have any? Because I have a couple things I could, that I could talk about. I definitely have thoughts about this. It's going to depend, I believe, based on uh, the specific DM. I think some DMs are going to really want to have their fingers in the pies of all the players at the table, and some might be more hands-off. I, I think this definitely links back to our Session Zero discussion, and you're really going to want to dig into it with the players at the table, the Dungeon Master, to find out what the, the right balance is for your table. But... 
as far as I think how it goes in general, I'm kind of in the camp where it's the more the merrier. I find as a DM that the more information I have about the backstory of a character personally that I can invest myself into, the more information I can plug into the campaign. And I like to seed many, many, many ideas in a game. And the more I can seed, the more opportunities there are. And that allows the player to pass up some of these opportunities as well as accept them so that you don't have to think, oh, here's my chance. Oh, I missed my backstory chance. What do you think? It's really interesting that you've said that you give your players the ability to either accept or decline these invitations pretty much. That's what they are, right? They're invitations in the game to go one way or go the other way. And I think that that's something that players and DMs don't really realize. Newer players and DMs, I'm saying, don't really realize in the midst of the game. They feel like, I need to jump on every opportunity that's handed to me. I need to jump here immediately and go and follow through. Nah, guys, like, take your time. If it's not the mm-hmm. right moment for you, for you as the player to go and follow up on a lead on some bandits that murdered your parents 10 years ago, don't... I'm over it. <laughs> I'm, I've, I've got closure. Um... <laughs> I, I would like to, to add really quickly that discuss it with your DM if you pass it up, like intentionally too, because as you said, you know, it's an invitation. And if you decline an invitation, you, you still should should perhaps explain why. Um, but that's that's perfect. It's always a give and take for story. It's it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a dance in a way. Like, mm-hmm. Like there's this push and pull of the players. Yeah, exactly. It's there's this push and pull of the players and the DM. It's never needs to be DM versus player, which I believe that we're going to be talking about in the next episode. Um, Mm -hmm. Some some of the campaign styles that you can have. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it, it doesn't have to be this terrible thing to turn down an opportunity but you're absolutely right that is where you have to say later on like hey just so you know like i did that intentionally i do really want to advance this or Mm -hmm. you could say hey i really appreciate it um i actually thought about it later on and maybe i don't want to maybe i don't want to fully get into this so if this was an arc for me do you think that you can maybe try to tie it in for somebody else Mm mm-hmm so yeah. that way it doesn't completely derail the idea that the camp, that the DM had while also mm-hmm. you're being a good player by sharing the spotlight. Yes, yes. And I've had this in campaigns where as a player, we had an opportunity to latch on to, to a storyline from a different character, but we were in the midst of one. And that's not a bad move by the DM, but we as players did make the choice to ignore one and focus on the in-progress storyline. And we had a discussion about it as players, as the DM after the game. And I think, you know, it it didn't affect anything negatively. In fact, it probably only proved to the player who was in the middle of their story, like, okay, they they all care. And it tells the dungeon master that, guess what? Your players are invested. You don't need to throw them another life raft. They they like what they've got. Yeah, like, please, please stop throwing us bones right now. (laughs) (laughs) Stop spoiling us. How dare you, DM? Um, Yeah. 
what I would say for the beginning part of this question, my, the best practices that you can have is to have a fully fleshed out backstory for your character. Um, mm -hmm. if you hand, I'm not saying like hand pages and pages of documents to your DM and be like, here's my backstory. It's going to take you two weeks <laughs> to read. I'm saying though, have a backstory that you can easily fall back on that. If your DM mm -hmm. has any clarifying questions, how you want to look at it in my eyes is you're a book writer, right? You have a novel and your DM is trying to adapt this into a into a movie he's a producer so okay okay that's how i'm looking at it at least yeah um, I, I think that's a good mentality for the backstory because the backstory is already written that's what i'm saying um, for the backstory yeah. that is that that's mm -hmm. it as the as it progresses it's a it's a marriage between you two okay yeah um with the dm kind of taking more of the lead on it but you've still, as the uh, rights for the, this creative property, for this intellectual mm -hmm. property, you still get the final final say on uh, yes or no. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like engaging with an amusement park ride. You get to say whether or not you get on the slide. <laughs> but once you're going down it, um, you're either going to die catastrophically or make it to the end. What slides do you go on? <laughs> I, I typically avoid them. Um, oh, only the ones that you survive on the way down. Hey, I'm, I'm still alive. 100% uh, success rate. Or I'm a ghost. But, uh, Jacob, I do have one one little point that I'd like to add to yeah. that. Uh, when I am, and I've, I've mentioned this before as a dungeon master when I'm seeding things, I do this as a player as well. I, like you said, it's, it's almost like you're writing a story for your backstory, but I never resolve the threads. I write them out with an open end and I point my dungeon master's attention to them when I hand it in. I say, okay, my parents perhaps died. Let's say it's an edgy character, uh, the rogue. But I don't necessarily say exactly what killed them. I might say I was not in a good relationship with the local thieves guild and my parents mysteriously died. But I don't know why or how or who and I'm searching for that. Or I might say that, you know, I had an old friendship and it ended abruptly. And you can kind of see the influence of the roll tables here that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. that they leave a lot of open-endedness. Um, so if you sort of cut off all of the topics that you're you're collaborating with, your, your, your dungeon master, uh, you're not going to be able to be surprised. It, it's something that we're going to definitely get into that we didn't really get that we didn't get much traction with character creation mm -hmm. that we're going to be discussing as the DM making your campaign mm -hmm. because it's the same point that you're that you're making here when you have too much of something when you when you over prep you're kind of limiting this this direction in the way that the story can go. Right. Absolutely. So yeah. that's why you need to have this open endedness. You need to be willing to see where where the story is going to go. You can't already have mm -hmm. it written. What's the like? Why would you want to role play something that you're already that you already know the ending to? Exactly. And you're going to set yourself up for failure as a player if you have 
written off all of those things because then you're going to get frustrated potentially when your dungeon master changes some of those because then you're thinking oh well this was already said and done well maybe leave some of that open so it's not said and done so that when it turns out that your butler from childhood was that you thought loved you actually killed your mother it's whoa scandalous mm-hmm what i was going for <laughs> so the second part of this question was how much is co-creation versus dm led and how much of that can you determine upfront versus in-game out of game percentage wise how much would you say is co-creation versus dm led off the top of your head 70 30 maybe 80 20 like player player dominated i think i think as a as a player the only thing that i don't really want is where is the end of my backstory uh, you know what that's fair that's that i would probably say that that's pretty accurate i would maybe go 70 30 75 25 okay yeah so we're, we're pretty close here i think that it's you know the dm has so much work already mm -hmm. uh that my favorite kind of a backstory to receive from a player is succinct easy to read maybe even bullet points like it doesn't have to be this this monstrous document but what i want to see are opportunities for me to plug that character in and opportunities to make surprises and legitimate surprises not just like subverted expectations like haha this is what actually happened but oh okay i see where this is heading let's find out where we go together so my long lost twin brother isn't actually evil and he's going to come to my wedding at the last minute and steal my bride no he's actually a, a curse that's part of a goiter on your throat and it's going to explode and he's going to crawl out of you see that's when body horror becomes a problem uh and we discussed that in session zero <laughs> uh how much can you determine upfront versus in game out of game i mean it's pretty much how much of your how much of your backstory are you are you handing and i'd say that pretty that yeah. pretty much all of it is being determined upfront and mm -hmm. or the 70 percent of you is determined upfront, and then the 20 percent is in game as far as like a conversation goes with your DM in discussing your backstory, it can continue on. The communication should never end. I, sorry, I need, I need to say the communication should actually only happen during normal hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please don't like call your DM okay, okay. at three in the as, morning. Okay. As a DM, yeah, yeah, that's I get messages throughout the night all the time. Sorry, from players, but can't I just, help it. It's just. The phone is on vibrate and it's hidden. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to get a hold of you, Gabe. That's how I keep the excitement <laughs> alive in my games. I'm very exclusive. Oh, God. All right, next question was, for newer players, it can be helpful to understand there are certain classes that lend themselves easier to newer players. Mm -hmm. Can you go into detail as to which classes those would be? Absolutely. I think, especially with 5th edition, Spellcasters are difficult across the board. I refuse um, to play spellcasters, actually. Mm -hmm. And I, I am not a new player. Play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I almost only play spellcasters, but that's because I enjoy torturing myself. Um, it is pretty true. But um, yeah, half casters are, are a bridge in the gap. I will recommend almost always with, with my previous game, that Little West Marches mini campaign I ran, I had maybe four or five brand new characters. And if they wanted to play a full caster, I strongly recommended they play a half caster. If they wanted to play a cleric, I said, maybe try a paladin. 
you're still going to have some of that spell casting. But at the end of the day, if you're uncertain how things are going to work, you can always just bop the monster on the face. I was actually going to ask, could you could you define what a half caster is? Yes. Yes. Uh, a half caster is a paladin or a ranger. They are martial. They still at fifth level get the ability to attack twice with one action, but they also gain half the amount of spellcasting ability that a full spellcaster receives. So uh, a bard, sorcerer, wizard, druid, cleric, they all gain twice as many spells as the others. However, warlock is, of course, a special case. It's so funny. I never consider bard a spellcaster. That could be because of your experience with previous edition. I don't know. I mean, I yeah. guess, but bard doesn't feel so confined to me. I don't hmm. know. It, it bard doesn't feel like well, a spellcaster. That's that's okay. that's that's just me. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. sure that I, I mean, you're probably right that that is a spellcaster. I, I I am. They get ninth level spells, <laughs> but uh, they also you you in particular have a, a real passion for skills, um, and so I. I'm not surprised that you you look at a bard like it's not a caster because you don't feel like you have to always lean on their spells. That's actually really fair. I hardly I think that my main thing is giving bardic inspiration. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's still fantastic. I mean, you turn a, a failed mind control dominate person spell into a success, then you save the party and you didn't even have to really do anything other than hand out these magical cookies before the fight so what would be your top three classes that you would that you would give to new players for uh ease i think barbarian fighter and paladin probably in that order barbarians are fairly simple but they do have the limitations of rage and some complications in knowing what damages you're reducing and and how to manage some resources whereas fighter is really you, you run in, you smack the thing. You you have to know what some of your features are. Some of the subclasses, like we mentioned, are much more complicated, however. Uh, in Wild Mount, one of Wizard's books, an Echo Knight is a subclass of fighter that is vastly more complicated than a champion from the player's handbook. Uh, Echo Knight. Barbarians? Yeah. Um, barbarians are pretty simple across the board, I think. Um, especially like Totem Barbarian, where it's like, hey, I just... My, my subclass feature is I will be reducing all damage types except Psychic. Ta-da! I kind of disagree with you slightly. I think that you're probably right about Barbarian being the easiest. Mm -hmm. um, but as I, talked, as I said to you earlier when we were talking about these questions, I would probably say Barbarian then Rogue. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, probably Ranger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Now, my argument for Paladin was simply a recent experience with having two of my brand new players, Clint being one of them, actually, who gave us the questions tonight, uh, playing Paladin. There is, I think, a great deal of satisfaction for newer players in combat with Paladin, because if you use a smite and you get to see huge numbers, you get one use of this thing called Channel Divinity, and that's like... You save it for the boss and you unleash it on the boss and you go in there and you kick ass. And then, of course, there are the spells and lay on hands, which is like, OK, I can heal a little bit and I can save up these spells, which I'm I have the option for using them just for smites if I can't 
figure out how these spells work in the moment. Don't you need that caveat, though, of needing your holy symbol? I either have not really tracked that or, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly I could be completely wrong. DM. I could be completely wrong, but I thought that you needed to have your holy symbol to to use the um, channel divinity. Uh, you you might, but I think it's pretty lenient on whether it's like a tattoo or mm. a necklace you keep close to you or a symbol on your shield or, you know, it's not, I don't think a, oh, you're, you're wielding a, a shield and a sword. That means you don't have a free hand to clutch your holy symbol. Therefore, you can't use this, you know, in which case I would say, okay, as a free action, you drop your sword and. I, I guess I guess that's just me thinking of like um, the exorcist kind of like just holding <laughs> this cross. I'm, I'm imagining going up to Strahd being like the, the power of Christ compels you. <laughs> that might be turn undead from a cleric where they do have to use their holy symbol. But um, I have had plenty of monsters vomit on my players. So it's an apt. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. Uh, I'm sorry about my silent laugh. That's uh. <laughs> okay. But I, I like your idea with the ranger also. A ranger is a good... Like, like I said, the half-casters are great choices. My only complaint with Rogue is that some of their features you simply have to connect with the DM about before. Um, stealth on a battlefield can be incredibly complex if your dungeon master is not prepared for it. That That's... That is fair. I feel like a lot of a lot of DMs have a hard time thinking about flanking too, mm-hmm. and I I don't use it personally. Yeah, that's 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 kind of the kind of what I'm talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. like rogues are great assets to oh. help you flank, but that's definitely coming from my 3.5 experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is definitely yeah. 3.5 right there. I was going to say though, if you are thinking about playing a ranger. Get Xanathar's. Tasha's also revises the ranger. So oh, Xanathar's, see, I don't have Tasha's, so. Yeah, so you you, you kind of want both. Um, I love the new, the revised ranger, too. They they did really well with it, I think. Well, that's what they've been complaining, that, that since 3.5, rangers have been garbage. And um, they're <laughs> yeah. not wrong. So. <laughs> no, it, and I don't I don't want to get too too far off of the beaten path here. But get a ranger no please explain no let's move on (laughs) (laughs) all right so finally we got a how i look at it at it is a cosmetic question okay how should one go about picking an accent if one isn't good or doesn't want to play an accent what are some other tools that can be used to add flavor and color to the character so i'm going to start out with this one okay one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is History That Doesn't Suck. If you are a history buff, I highly recommend going and checking them out. It is one of the things that gets me through my mornings. One of the episodes, he does an interview with somebody, and he got a email or a call from this one woman who was listening and said, Hey, I really like your show. I'm from the South. I forget where. I really need to ask... Why do you make us sound like we're complete idiots? And he was so apologetic because of how his accent portrayal came off for for his southern ca- characters. And I mm-hmm. personally didn't think they were bad, but then again, 
I'm not a southerner, so I don't mm -hmm. really have any any background to base it off of. I guess if somebody was like trying to flaunt a northeastern Pennsylvanian <laughs> accent, I don't know what that would be. I might be a little offended. I I don't know. But um, oh, can I get a tray of pizza? <laughs> Let me get a logger. But what I would say is if you're not confident in doing the accent, don't do it. Just don't do it because yeah. you can offend people and that's mm -hmm. not that's not your goal. Uh, it is an aid for your characters because as I was saying to Gabe when I was talking about this question, you're going to have players zone in and out no matter how compelling your story is. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier for the players to immediately zone back in and be like, Oh, yeah, definitely somebody somebody new talking. So maybe mm -hmm. I should focus in on that. Whereas just having the same voice might be a little bit more difficult, but you do you. Yeah, yeah. And this, I mean, my, my take on it is probably just not the one you expected. I'm, I'm very performative when I'm DMing. I use a wide variety of accents and tonal shift. Um, it's just something I really enjoy. The first game I ever saw being played online was by Chris Perkins. And it's, uh, I don't know. He he did a couple accents. He's not like Matt Mercer out there, but I just remember laughing my, my ass off and laughing and laughing. I was at work and that was how I got into D&D. So I, I don't think accents are as necessary as we think, or I perhaps should say, I don't think good accents are as necessary as we think. There is an urge to follow through with having accents on all of your characters and having them all have different accents. And I know that there are videos out there instructing you on how to organize your files to keep them all straight. Um, but I think for your home game, you know, you're not trying to change the world's perception of of your your characters through accents. I think that a simple tonal shift. Uh, an octave up or down or speaking a little bit more slowly or gravelly can be a tremendous boon to giving some variance to your your characters and i think that having sort of because i adopt this all the time i my players refer to it as my announcer voice kind of the voice i use for this it's not my typical voice outside of games so they know when i'm narrating Gabe, hey, it looks like that we kind of ran out of time. So if you guys liked what you hear, heard yet again, please like, listen, and subscribe to our podcast, One Debate. You could also follow us on Twitter, One Debate D&D, or you could go to our Discord channel, One Debate, where Gabe and I actually interact with everybody and where we actually got our questions from this episode. So... Join us next time where we start focusing on our DMs who have gotten a little bit of neglect. We've neglected the DMs. Yeah, we, 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 we kind of neglected you guys. So please join us next week when we start talking about planning your campaign. As always, I'm Jacob. I'm Gabe. And this was One Team.